What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. You know, common sense is not common anymore, so we may have to change the name of this podcast at some point. But hopefully, instead of that, we can spread common sense, help people to really understand it. You know, the proponents of equity, they see no problem with treating groups differently based on their race as long as it serves their agenda. Now, we used to call that racism. I don't know what they call it now. But the answer to racism in this country is not more racism. So what is the solution? Some people will tell you the government. The government knows what to do. They will solve this problem. Well, today's guest believes that the answer is minority entrepreneurship. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about the way to support minority entrepreneurship. And it certainly is not with government doing more things. So welcome to this episode. Alfredo Ortiz is joining me today. We're going to discuss racism, the best ways to overcome racial economic divide in this country, which is substantial. He is the president and CEO of Job Creators Network and the author of a brand new book entitled The Real Race Revolutionaries, How Minority Entrepreneurship Can Overcome Racial and Economic Divides. And I've been talking to him. He's a fascinating history. Uh, I think has a lot of wisdom to share with us. So welcome, Alfredo. Thank you very much, Dr. Carson. It's a real honor and a pleasure. Well, I'm, uh, I'm curious about your book, The Real Race Revolutionaries. Where did you get the idea for that book and that title? Yeah, well, it was interesting. There were a couple of influences that uh, led me to where I am today. The first one uh, was actually a, a testimony that I gave in front of the full House Ways and Means Committee last spring. Uh, and I was, yeah, was going to ask you about that. Yep, and I was I was the sole Republican witness actually at that uh, uh, at that hearing, and, and uh, we were discussing uh, the topic was uh, uh, basically how racism in this country. Uh, basically uh, leads to the demise of uh, minorities um, and uh, what we can do uh, about it, which their answer, of course, was more government, more intervention. Of course. Um, you, know, you know what that saying is when the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? <laughs> well, exactly. that was definitely the case here. And uh, I pushed back on that uh, uh, narrative. And I basically said, I, I really don't think it is more government. It's actually less government, less regulations, lower taxes. And it's basically allowing entrepreneurship in this country to flourish. Um, and I provided some data points and statistics. Um, but as you can imagine, like I said, they, were, they weren't uh, too open to hearing that. And in fact, one of the Democrat congresswomen uh, called me ignorant and inappropriate and that my rhetoric was very concerning. 
Um, although I had laid out my background and my history, uh, which really is, you know, one where I, I was poor growing up. And uh, I mean, I talked about uh, s several instances where I was a victim of racism. So I definitely said, you know, I'm acknowledging that, uh, you know, it's not that it doesn't exist, but I don't think it's systemic. And I think that more government is not the answer. And so, like I said, they didn't like that too much. So uh, it, it was interesting watching their reaction. <laughs> no, I remember uh, very specifically. There, there was a time when they actually kind of embraced individuals like yourself and like me who sort of came up from nothing and made it. Now they don't so much embrace those individuals because it goes against their victimhood narrative. Yeah, I, 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 it really does, Dr. Carson. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, uh, folks uh, uh, on the left now are, are calling me Uncle Tomas um, because uh, it's something that, you know, they, uh, they, they just don't like this narrative. They don't like it coming from someone like me with my background because uh, it really does uh, uh, basically fly in the face of what they try to push. And, um, exactly. you know, so. Um, well, well, take us back. Uh, take us back to childhood for you. What what was it like and, and how did you acquire these work ethic values? Yeah, you know, so um, I I, uh, I struggled definitely as a child uh, in terms of where, where the situ situation. I grew up in Chula Vista, California. And uh, which is right there on the border. Uh, they used to call it uh, uh, Chula Juana because right there on the border of Tijuana, Mexico, and San Diego, California. Um, and so my uh, dad was a tailor. Uh, my mom was a housekeeper and seamstress. And uh, I remember, you know, on trash days, you know, many a times I would go out with my mom and we'd go through the trash cans and looking for aluminum cans and newspapers. And we'd run over to the YMCA and cash those in. And that was our grocery money for the week. And we, when that wasn't enough, my mom, you know, knew how to make ends meet, whether it was a bake sales, garage sales, craft sales, you name it. I always say that she was the best and first entrepreneur that I ever knew uh, because mm -hmm. she definitely knew how to make ends meet. And uh, But she believed in education. She, uh, uh, through being a housekeeper, I was actually uh, uh, moved to La Jolla and stayed in uh, basically the, the governess uh, room, which was uh, basically one room with two beds. Uh, so uh, that's what I grew up in from fifth grade through 12th grade. Um, and it was an interesting background because, like I said, it was uh, uh, growing up poor and then being transferred into La Jolla, which was a very rich area. It was a little bit like putting a hot carafe in ice water. Uh, it was quite an experience. <laughs> but, you know, the one thing about a work ethic that I do remember my mom taught me is because government assistance, I always tell people, uh, uh, conservatives, that don't poke fun at people who look for government assistance because at some point or another, something might have happened to them. Uh, and, and mm -hmm. everybody needs a hand up. Uh, and, uh, we, you know, we, we actually received uh, government assistance through um, basically surplus eggs, bread, milk, cheese uh, through the USDA. And my church actually in Chula Vista was a distribution point. So what my mom taught yep. me, though, was is that we would receive the stuff and we would lay it out. And once we distribute it all to everybody, then we would take our share. And that's a work ethic, I think, that really... Uh, stuck with me because if you're an able-bodied individual, she said, you can give something, you can give something back. It's okay to receive some, but give something back. Yeah, I think government assistance, uh, as long as it doesn't become a way of life, can yeah. be a real lifeline uh, for a lot of people. And I, yeah. I remember, you know, we got some assistance with food stamps from time to time. My mother worked a lot. She worked two and three jobs at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, but <laughs> I remember as a youngster, I was kind of foolish in, in the sense that I would go to the store with the food stamps and I'd be embarrassed. And I, I wouldn't want people to see me using food stamps. So if there was somebody in the line that I knew I would get out of the line and act like I had forgotten to get something until oh. they were gone. If I'd really thought it through, I probably would have realized they probably had food stamps too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. It was it was the but, same with me at uh, at Goodwill stores. I remember that's where we would get all of my clothes at the Goodwill, and uh, I was always embarrassed if I ran into somebody there. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, you probably had quite a few different jobs uh, growing up too, didn't you? Oh, gosh. I mean, my, my first job was actually when I was 10 years old, um, mowing lawns. Uh, and uh, I could barely even move that thing, but I was out there mowing, <laughs> mowing lawns and, and cutting, cutting hedges and whatever it took. And uh, like I said, that's, you know, both of my parents, what they taught me is just hard work and dedication, grit. Um, and really a belief in yourself. And, and, and that's what I think is the biggest harm right now with this mentality from the left of, you know, is, is almost don't believe in yourself. Um, believe in the government. Believe that the government's going to take care of you because you're not able to. Um, I think it's so condescending and, and, and it's actually pretty offensive as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, every job that you have, no matter what kind of job it is, it teaches you skills. Right. And you develop relationships, you get opportunities that you don't get sit sitting at home doing yeah. nothing uh, to climb that ladder. So these are the things that I think people sometimes forget about. And uh, it can be really problematic. Yeah. Now, what do you think about what's going on in San Francisco now with their proposal for reparations? You've heard about what they were proposing. Yeah, I have five million dollars, I believe, per person, mm -hmm. if I remember the the, the number correctly. Um, well, first of all, who's going to pay for that? I mean, uh, boy, that that seems like an enormous amount of money for for anyone. And what's someone going to do with five million? Is that per person? So a, a household of four is going to have twenty million dollars all of a sudden? I mean. This is yeah. actually absolutely nuts. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, I understand buying votes, but this is uh, this is uh, b beyond crazy. Um, and I don't think it does anything to really help actually people understand the value of work. You know, I think, like I said, it's I'm the first one to say that racism does exist in this country. I mean, I remember uh, not too long ago, uh, I was out in Ohio and I wanted to, you know, buy myself a nice luxury car because I could, because uh, I worked hard for it. I worked hard for that money. And I went to a dealership and asked him if I could do a test drive. And the guy said, we don't have a car for you to test drive. And I'm like, what, you're out of gasoline or something? Oh, my. Right? And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. He goes, we don't have a car for you to test drive. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> you know, so, so, so it exists, Dr. Garson. I'm, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't. Uh, but, 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 it, but again, it's, it's hard work and grit. Um, what, what really bothers me from the left is this idea that it's a quality of outcome. Never has this country ever promised equality of outcome, just equality of opportunity, um, right. which is why everybody comes here. I mean, I don't see anybody fleeing the United States. Um, no, and when they got here, if it was such a horrible place like the left claims it to be, wouldn't they call all their friends and relatives and say, don't come here. This is a horrible place. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> just I mean, the opposite is happening. Yeah. We, we're, we're just a magnet for people who are seeking that opportunity. And so, you know, the, the, when you have these kinds of, you know, ideas of these reparations of, you know, $5 million a piece, I, ju I just don't understand what the motivation is that because on a longer term basis, that's just going to really uh, discourage people from doing what I think has sure. made this country so amazing uh, which is that hard work. I mean, uh, right. I, I have to say in the past two years, I think Joe Biden's done a lot to really destroy the American work ethic, which really was, I think, the envy of the whole world. Um, you know, it's people are now kind of saying, eh, it's OK not to work. I mean, look at mm -hmm. the labor force participation rates. They're at some Absolutely. of the lowest levels they've been. And more concerning, it's actually if you look at the youth labor force participation rate, they're, they're not working. No, they're not. And just the whole idea that somebody owes you something. Uh, the, the only thing that is owed is an opportunity, equal right. opportunities yeah. for everybody. And, uh, you know, it really is untenable if you really start stop and think about it, a reparation system, because yeah. what percentage of slave descendant do you have to have in you in order to qualify? Right. And, um, you know, what if your ancestors, what if you're black and your ancestors were never slaves? Do you still get something? Uh, what if you're white and your ancestors were never slave owners? Do you still have to pay for it? The vast majority of whites in the South did not own slaves. Right. Slaves were a luxury. 
yeah. <laughs> was for the rich right. people, the aristocrats. Yeah. And uh, the vast majority didn't own slaves. And in fact, and a lot of people don't know this, there were black slave owners. In fact, in uh, 1670, I believe it was, uh, yeah. Commonwealth of Virginia outlawed uh, black slave owners from owning Christian slaves. That was their euphemism for mm. white slaves. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, how do you deal with all that stuff? I mean, it's just craziness. It, what it, we really need to start thinking about is how do we, how do we learn from the past and make sure that we don't repeat those mistakes, and how do we make things fair and provide equal opportunity for everybody? And I know that's a large part of what your organization is doing. We very much appreciate it. And we will be right back with more from Alfredo Ortiz. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we're back with Common Sense. And uh, we have a fascinating guest, uh, Alfredo Ortiz. Uh, he's written a fabulous book, is very much involved in creating jobs and getting people to recognize the value of entrepreneurship. But I want to ask you, Alfredo, what was your American dream? Yeah, well, it's it's funny. So you'll probably laugh, Dr. Carson, but when I turned 10 years old, uh, my dad actually asked me what I wanted to be uh, when I grew up, and I said president. And uh, he said, of what? I said, well, the United States, of course. But uh, now that now that I've gotten closer to that, boy, that's the last thing I ever wanted to do, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like the role that I've had for the past 10 years of really helping uh, you know, small business owners overall, uh, not only minority small business owners, but minority uh, small businesses. There are 30 million of them in this country employing 60 million people. You know, 90 million hardworking Americans dependent on the success of small business. And I have to tell you, quite frankly, 10 years ago, nobody was talking small business. Um, mm -hmm. Now, uh, for example, the other day on Squawk Box, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee uh, was talking about the importance of small business in this country. Um, I love seeing that. I love hearing that because somebody had to speak up and defend small businesses. Um, it really is, I think, the American dream uh, piece of that. I mentioned that, you know, I was the first one to finish high school, college, grad school. I worked at, you know, Fortune 500 companies, uh, Boston Consulting Group, uh, you know, really blue chip companies and names. Um, but I got a little tired of the corporate America and I said, you know what? I want a piece of the American dream and my American dream was to own my own business. And mm -hmm. so I started my own consulting company. I started a construction company, both of them in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, they were successful. I ended up selling them. And quite frankly, those put me on the path of being able to sit here with you actually uh, mm -hmm. and having this conversation. And so, um, you know, but, but oh, I go ahead. Let me. Let me just ask you, what were, what were some of the firsthand experiences and challenges that you faced as a minority entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I would say 
probably overall as an entrepreneur is access to credit. Um, uh, minority entrepreneur made it even harder, um, to be quite honest. Um, you know, thanks to Dodd-Frank, as you uh, might recall, uh, the only thing that happened with that is the big banks got bigger and our small community banks disappeared, about 2,000 of them, mostly mm -hmm. minority communities. So the access to credit was very, very difficult. I remember applying to an SBA loan and after six months of waiting and trying uh, and the bureaucracy, I gave up. And so I pulled out, you know, on my credit card, you know, lines of credit, equity lines of credit, friends, family, I mean, wherever I could find some money to fund my, my business. And so, but again, people believed in me. I believed in myself, which is really important. And I believe that I did have an equal opportunity to everybody else that worked hard. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I knew that to be true in this country and that if I did it and I believed in my idea, I could make a success of myself. And so uh, I did. Um, but, but like I said, it's, it's, uh, uh, I, I reached the success uh, point that I needed and I wanted. Um, and uh, I remember talking to my pastor about what my next phase in life was going to be. He goes, well, there's two phases in people's lives. The first one is success. You've achieved that. And the second one is significance. What are you going to do to actually add significance to this world? Um, and so I, I, I love what I'm doing because I think we're making a difference. Absolutely. Well, you know, there, there are two schools of thought. You, you got the W.E.B. Du Bois group who believes in political activism. Right. And then you got the Booker T. Washington group who believes in entrepreneurship. And... Uh, you can you can see how it's tearing this country right down yeah, really the middle. Is. We have so many people who think this is all about politics, yeah, and all about reparations and all about you owe me this and you owe right. me that, versus the group of people who say, let's roll up our sleeves and take advantage of what exists here. You know, I think that's the reason that you see so much success in this country amongst people who come here from elsewhere. You know, they say, what, are you kidding me? Yeah. Look at all these opportunities. Oh. Where there's the people who were born yeah. here, there's no opportunities. Everybody's taking my, you know, it's, yeah. it really is a matter of your perspective and how you look at things. Yeah, it really is. You know, the one neatest thing about this position, uh, doing what I'm doing at Job Creators Network, is over the past 10 years, I've been able to crisscross the country talking to entrepreneurs, small business owners, all over of all different races, of all different backgrounds, uh, industries, right? And the one thing, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, I really realized, I mean, we traveled, actually, we traveled over 100 and, about 110,000 miles, I think, in the past five years, um, is that uh, they all were asking just to have that equal opportunity. And I will tell you, though, that none of them, none of them said, you know what I really need is more government, more regulations and higher taxes. Um, mm -hmm. Not a one. So uh, but, you know, they, they, they all believed that they had that opportunity. And, you know, I worked with one particular group, if I may do a call out on that, a shout out, uh, the Coalition of Franchisee Associations. It's a wonderful association and group of people, but I'll tell you, a lot of them, the majority of them are minority entrepreneurs um, that really benefited mm -hmm. from the franchising system in this country and were really able to have a part of their American dream and are really great successes doing what they're doing by owning multiple franchises. And so, again, a lot of those came from India and other you know, socialist countries and stuff like that. And you're absolutely right. The one thing that they want to do is make sure that what they came from, what they fled from, does not happen. And they're very concerned because they're seeing it happen here. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the plan of some on the left to flood this country with uh, illegal immigrants may backfire on them because a lot of yeah. those people are coming from places that they don't want to see that happen in this country. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. That's a very good point. And we'll, we'll see how it all... But uh, what have you noticed, if anything, in some of our big major cities where in the past there's been a lot of complaints about racism keeping people down, but uh, 
they have black mayors, they have black city councils, they have, you know, black police officers. Yeah. And still they're experiencing the same problems. Well, do you have any, any advice for them? Well, you know, the big, the, the big thing that we're hearing, um, at least from our members in those cities, is crime. I mean, crime is so out of control now. Um, they're closing up shop, they're leaving, they're moving to suburbs, or they're just getting out of business. Um, the crime is really out of control, and most of these are in Democrat-run cities, uh, you know, either at the state level or at the city level with Democrat mayors. Um, that has to, I mean, we have to control that. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm in Atlanta here and I have to tell you, I mean, we're always concerned about some riot breaking out. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just really, really out of control and we have a wonderful governor, but at the local level, uh, the Atlanta mayor, you know, there's just this belief that, uh, you just let everybody run free. Um, and, and, and that's just not, not, not a society that doesn't make a society. It just makes for anarchy, yeah. um, which might be what the left has been looking for ultimately to break the country. Um, but that is the number one thing that I see has to be solved. Um, mm -hmm. And the destruction, quite frankly, of the family unit, I think, is another thing that has been really, really tough. And, you know, in, in the book, in the research that I did, we actually showed that when, when you have a, basically a two-parent household, those households do extremely well versus the one-parent household. Um, and even, you know, from an entrepreneurship, actually the Black Caucus Foundation did a study and the found that, found that the net worth, for example, of a black entrepreneur is 12 times greater than a non-entrepreneur black. And so the opportunity, again, to provide the skills and resources to make entrepreneurship something that is equally available to everybody is something so important. And between crime and everything else that's going on, it's getting harder and harder to really grab you know arms around that well you you touched on two things there that are, are very important uh you know people talk about racism and how it keeps people down the color of people's skin is a negative but if you take nigerians who came to this country that's right ghanaians who come to this country there's no wealth gap but if you look at those families, you'll see that there's a strong emphasis on family That's right. and a strong emphasis on education. And in a Nigerian household, bachelor's degree is the baseline. That's, right. That's where you start. And, uh, you know, the, maybe we should be looking at some different things other than just always blaming everything on race. That's absolutely correct. And in fact, you know, that example specifically I point out in the book. Um, you know, if you look, for example, at Argentinians versus Dominicans, um, you know, both Hispanic, but, you know, very, very different uh, uh, net worth and median incomes there. Uh, when you look at, you know, uh, uh, you know, all, all these different, you know, groups um, that exist, it's, you know, uh, Asians, for example, are actually have a higher net worth than white. Um, mm -hmm. So what's that? That's not racism. Um they just have a very, very different uh, approach and, and belief in education and family and work. And um, so there are other factors that come into play. And so being, you know, racism as the default is what I had a real hard time. And I go back to the testimony that I gave. That was I was pushing back on. I said, why is everything always about lead back to racism? Um, yeah. And that's when the congresswoman pushed back. She says, well, uh, you know, I'm very upset you're saying that. And I said, why do you even think that? We're not saying that. I said, look at the title of the hearing. <laughs> that's exactly what you're saying. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, we, we race to racism, um, no pun intended. Uh, we rushed through the, to, to, to that being the reason why. But we have to really, I think, sit down and really understand what's causing uh, some of these issues exactly. and address that. And that goes across all demographics. Uh, you know, the, the Brookings Institute, you may be familiar with the big study they did on, on poverty. Mm -hmm. And uh, they concluded that there were three things a person could do that would reduce their risk of living in poverty to 2% or less. Mm. Number one, finish high school. The importance of that basic education. Yeah. Number two, get married. The family structure. Number three, wait until you're married to have children. Right. 
Why create that tremendous economic difficulty? Why not use the brain that you have and actually do some planning right. and strategizing? You know, that's, isn't that the reason that God gave us these sophisticated brains? We right. don't have to just react to everything right. that's right. going on. We can actually plan and right. strategize. Yeah. Years and years in advance, we can strategize yeah. and plan. But uh, so many people just uh, decide to be victims and just to react to whatever happens to them and then to complain about it. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's paying homage to our creator when we yeah. Uh, behave. Yeah, absolutely way. not. Absolutely not. Well, we will be right back with our fascinating guest and talk a little bit more about his book, The Real Race Revolutionaries. Be back in a minute. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Common Sense. I'm Ben Carson. I'm here with Alfredo Ortiz, author of the new book, The Real Race Revolutionaries. What do you want the people to take away from the book that you wrote? So the takeaway for me is just that small business and entrepreneurship really is the answer for this racial and economic divide that everybody talks about. Racial tensions, yes, I understand they're there and racism does exist. It's not systemic. And, and I think we laid that out in the book. Um, people can change their lives as long as they're given that equal opportunity and they believe in themselves and they believe, you know, that hard work and grit and determination and dedication is the answer and it's going to get you out. If you believe that government intervention is the only way out and that you're, you know, forever uh, a, a victim, uh, it's, it's just not going to pan out well. And, and I don't think that this, that's what's made this country great up until now. Um, and if we continue down this path, I think we quickly find ourselves uh, in, in the uh, history books as another socialist country, and I'm very afraid of that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I, I always say, the person who has the most to do with what happens to you is you. That's right. And if, if you can get young people to understand that and not be looking for somebody else to give them something or to do something that will improve their lives. You won a significant part of the battle there. How do you think uh, the economy got to such a strong place in the previous administration so quickly? What do you think happened there? Yeah, well, the passage of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, uh, Dr. Carson, uh, really is the answer on that. I, I was very much involved uh, in, the, in the development of that and really fighting for the two main provisions uh, that were in there uh, that helped our small businesses out, the 20% tax deduction uh, mm -hmm. and also the immediate expensing uh, of purchases of capital. And so uh, those two alone, I'm telling you, everyone that I've talked to, our members, they, they definitely use that to their advantage to grow their businesses, whether it was hire more people, pay better salaries, mm -hmm. give more benefits, uh, invest back in their businesses and, you know, in terms of machinery and equipment. I mean, uh, 
this was what really made uh, uh, the boom happen. And the median incomes for all, all people went well. I mean, whether you're Asian, Hispanic, black, white, I mean, everybody did extremely well uh, because we just released uh, that, that ingenuity and innovation uh, that's there that entrepreneurs uh, exhibit. Um, and there was less government, lower regulations. I know President Trump was a big proponent of reducing red tape in this country. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, the reduction in taxes. But, you know, I'm very concerned about, you know, those two provisions, because, as you know, those actually expire at the end of 2025. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, the immediate expensing is starting to phase out this year. And so with those two gone, I'm really concerned about the economic future of our country. So uh, Newt Gingrich and I, at the end of last year, we actually released an eight-point plan called the American Small Business Prosperity Plan. The number one thing on our list is making those uh, uh, two tax elements, uh, making them permanent uh, because it's extremely important. Well, you know, thank you for the, the time and energy you invested in that because what an incredible difference it made. At, at HUD alone, we got rid of more than 2,000 regulations and sub-regulations. Yeah, that's great. Uh, things that really open things up. And uh, that sometimes I think people forget what the United States was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a place where you could live the life that you wanted to live as long as it wasn't negatively impacting somebody else. That's right. And it was a place where you didn't have somebody with their foot on your neck all the time, hmm. mandating this and mandating that and saying, you got to, you know, it was, it, this was supposed to be a completely different kind of place. Oh, yeah. And yet we see us gradually, and maybe not so gradually, moving toward, you know, a government dominated state. Yeah. It, and it, it's kind of required people to really understand uh, and to be willing to stand up for what they believe in. Because the, the only way that we go from being a free country to being a dominated country is if we're not willing to stand up for the Constitution. The Constitution was written by people who were very concerned about that happening. Yeah. They studied all the governments that had ever existed before. They realized that this was a natural tendency and they even prayed together. How can we put together something that will keep this country from moving in that direction? Yeah, we are moving in that direction, but it's not too late, and we can stop it. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you're absolutely. doing your part, and uh, very, very appreciative of the things that you're doing. Um, there's been a, a lot of talk recently about the debt ceiling. I'd be interested in your thoughts about. Boy, 30, 31 trillion, I think, and counting uh, at this point, 31.3, I think, uh, to be precise. This is out of control. It really is. And one of the eight points actually is we got to stop this out of control government spending. Um, mm -hmm. It's definitely inflationary. Uh, we're actually in the middle of a lawsuit against the Biden administration and the Department of Education on this half a trillion uh, dollar boondoggle the college loan bailout. Um, look, I am in violent agreement with Biden on this one in the sense that um, it's an issue. Um, but how you pay for it is, or is where we completely diverge. It is not on the backs of taxpayers and that kind of uh, illegal government overreach is an administrative state that we have to stop, uh, which is why we're proud of the work we're doing on that. We're actually going to the Supreme Court on February the 28th, um, a, a, a separate case uh, than the uh, six AGs. Uh, but, you know, hopefully one or both of us will prevail uh, on that case because we have to stop this administrative overreach. We did it last year. Uh, we sued on the vaccine mandate for the 100 employers or more, and we won that. And so we're proud of the work we're doing on this one. And God willing, uh, uh, we'll get a 7-2 victory. <laughs> I sure hope so. It's making a huge difference what you're doing. And, you know, what surprises me, quite frankly, is that the, the young people, uh, you know, the people who make up Antifa and all these uh, protest yeah. groups, why are they not 
concern about the debt because they're the ones who are going to have to pay it. It's ruining their future. Yeah. And they either they don't realize that or they just don't care. I'm not sure which one it is, but I, I think uh, when I was a young person, there were a lot of protests, but that's the exact thing they would have been protesting about. You're ruining our future. Yeah, I think, you know, quite frankly, the Democrats have been very uh, good about um, making this monopoly money. I mean, to the point where, um, you know, they, they, they have this belief, uh, and, and several of our Democrat leaders believe in this, called modern monetary theory, um, which basically means you can just keep on printing um, money to fund social programs because debt doesn't matter. Um, from right. Janet Yellen to Bernie Sanders to Elizabeth Warren to AOC, they're all believers in this modern monetary theory. And quite frankly, they're just pushing that out there, whether it's on TikTok or Insta or any of these other, you know, internet uh, type programs. Um, you know, it's always out there on social networks. And, right. um, you know, it, it's, it's not, not to be stopped. And you mentioned the media. They control the media. Um, and the media doesn't talk about it at all. I mean, if it weren't for Fox and, you know, Real America's Voice and Newsmax, you'd probably never hear about the debt ceiling. You know about it. Yeah, well, it's 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 a fascinating thing that's happening, and it's going to obviously have an incredibly deleterious effect. And obviously, these people don't know anything about history. Yeah, because if if you look at other countries that have gone down this road, uh, you know, look at Argentina, look at things that happened there. Yeah, it's never good. It never turned. There's no example where it turned out good. Yeah. So. You know, why would you think this is going to turn out okay in this situation? Yeah, I mean, that debt to GDP is approaching exactly what you just mentioned. I mean, it's approaching the, the Argentinas, the Chiles of the world. I mean, this is not looking good. And uh, unfortunately, we have to practice. And, and, and this is where I kind of blame both sides. We have to practice, you know, uh, fiscal discipline on both sides. I, I mean, you. I know you do. I know I do. In, in my household, um, I never write checks that I can't cash. Um, Absolutely. You know, but that's what this country is doing. We're writing checks that this country just can't cash. And we live, uh, my wife and I have always made it a point to live way beneath our means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you never want to have to live on the edge <laughs> under any circumstance. Well, and, and you know, now, uh, Dr. Carson, if you look at the financial situation of a lot of households, it's very concerning. I mean, this is why we were calling uh, a, a recession uh, when, it, you know, when you have the two quarters of decline, but also we were looking at uh, consumer sentiment. Um, and now what's happening, if look at, look at uh, consumer debt, for example, um, mm -hmm. you know, year over year, uh, delinquencies are up 40%. Um, yeah. uh, card, card delinquencies are up. Um, you know, savings rates went from 31% uh, pre-pandemic, uh, or I should say uh, right at the, the height of the pandemic, we were at about 31% savings rates. We're at 4% now. We're actually below historic levels of 8%. So, you know, our households are running out of cash. This country is just printing like crazy. And that is definitely inflationary. And we're really approaching a socialist level uh, when it comes to that. Well, it's individuals like yourself that are going to help us weather this storm. It's going to be a tough one, though. Well, we're trying. But, uh, what advice would you have uh, for a young person who wants to start a small business today, particularly in this environment? Yeah, so really understanding. Um, as someone who started two businesses, I have a lot of experience uh, leading up to that. Um, it's not easy. Um, that's for sure. It's not just something that you decide to wake up one day and you go do. I mean, you really have to plan on it. You have to, you know, assess the opportunity that's out there in the niche or competition. You know, there's a lot of wonderful resources. I know Linda McMahon, uh, the SBA administrator uh, that you worked with, uh, did a lot uh, at the local level to develop um, relationships with retired executives. There's an organization, I think it's called SCORE. Uh, that works with the SBA at local levels. They provide a lot of uh, counseling in terms of how to review business plans, marketing plans, um, you know, financing, uh, credit, stuff like that. I mean, you need to do your homework is probably the biggest mm -hmm. thing that I can say. It's not just something you wake up and decide to do. 
Um, it'd be like me waking up and deciding I'm going to go do a marathon. I'd probably get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that is extremely wise counsel. We appreciate that. Absolutely. And just in closing, how do people get a hold of your book? Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, the Real Race Revolutionaries is available on Amazon, uh, both in paperback and on Kindle. And uh, if they want more information about the organization that I'm part of and that I uh, run, it's called JobCreatorsNetwork.com. And uh, we have some great stuff on there, some uh, wonderful insights. Uh, it's free to join. Uh, they can go to joinjcn.com. And, uh, you know, the more, the more you become educated and literate about what's going on in this country, the better decisions you're going to make. Whether it's, you know, on the left or the right, at least make educated decisions. Well, young individuals like yourself who have shown that it can be done give me great hope for our future. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. I think the dawn is coming. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate you being with us. Thank Please you. keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Dr. Carson. You the same. And we will be right back in a minute. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to Common Sense. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, fascinating discussion with uh, Alfredo Ortiz. You know, he makes it clear that to succeed in small business in this country is not an accident. You know, you have to plan your life. You, you use your brain. You prepare yourself. There's a lot of material out there that will be helpful to you. Don't just go out there and say, I'm starting a business and hang up your shingle. But, you know, know the conditions that are going on. He talks about the importance of family and family structure and education. All of these things are so key to being successful. But you are the one who will determine how successful you're going to be. It's really not in the hands of anybody else. There are those who want you to believe desperately that your destiny is in somebody else's hands. And because somebody else is being unfair, you're having a hard time. Don't believe it. Are there people out there who are unfair? Absolutely. Do you have to let them control your life? Absolutely not. So important. Small business is the backbone of our country, provides employment to the majority of people in our country, and we have to vigorously defend it. So for your prescription for this week, I want you to go out into your neighborhood and learn about some of the small businesses that exist there and see if maybe there's something you can do to support them. Yes, I know how easy it is just to get on your computer and order something and it comes the next day. But it's also important to support those people on the ground in your community that provide strength for your community. You don't have to buy everything that way, but give them some love, give them some support. It'll make a difference. Well, that's it for this week. Please subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, 
Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. Rate us, review us, tell your friends about us. And most of all, remember the cornerstone principles. Faith. Liberty. Community. And life. We'll see you next week.